Okay, let's pray. Father, what a glorious day it is. And Father, how my heart has grown to love these women more and more with each passing day. Father, it has just been meant so much to me to study the word with these women, to plan events for and with these women. Father, it is a privilege, a great privilege to be with them. And I pray, Father, that they will know that they are truly loved by the staff of this church, by me, by the other people sitting at their tables, Father. But most importantly, a sovereign God who is orchestrating all of our lives for your glory, for your decree, for your plan, Father. We can trust in you. Lord, there is much darkness with all of these women in here, Father. I know that there are many thoughts of loneliness, fear, medical concerns, financial concerns, marital concerns, worries for their children. Lord, there are untold numbers of concerns, but Father, For those in this room that have been called by your name, Father, you are working it all out for their good. And I pray, Father, that we will be faithful to proclaim the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Help us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, y'all come on in. So um, I have already mentioned this is going to be a little different today and a little different for me and for everybody. I don't think anybody else has taken the selfish opportunity to um, talk about themselves for 20 minutes or so, but here we go. Um, So as I was preparing and working on my final Esther lesson, I was struck by two things. So the first one was that there was a supernatural hero of this story. Everybody else was really, when you kind of took it all, broke it all down, everybody else was pretty much a mess, uh, right? They weren't. No one was super spiritual or doing everything right. And secondly, not only did we have a supernatural hero, he was supernaturally orchestrating the timing of events perfectly. And that's what really stood out to me was how could all of these things happen at exactly the right time? That's because God was in charge. So consider these bits. So in chapter 2, 22, this little phrase, and this knowledge came to Mordecai. Just happened to come to Mordecai. Uh, 6, 1, on that night, the king could not sleep. Hmm. Hey, y'all don't have to sit on the floor. There are lots of seats up here. Um, 6, 4, now Haman had just entered the court. Isn't that ironic? And seven, eight, as Haman was falling on the couch. All of those phrases, those are things that no man can orchestrate those things. God was completely orchestrating all of that. Karen Jobes writes in her essay on the doctrine of divine providence, although there is not one tiny miracle found in the book of Esther, the cumulative result of a series of improbable events leads one to ponder the miraculous quality of the ordinary. As it has been said, a coincidence is a miracle in which God prefers to remain anonymous. It might be more profitable for you to read Job's theological postscript or maybe the article on divine providence by R.C. Sproul that I really enjoyed, but that is not where God led me today. I hope you will indulge me as I tell you a story. It is a personal story of God's providence in my own life. It is the one story that comes to mind over and over again when I think about the obvious supernatural orchestration of God's decree. I have made reference to it before, and if you know the story, I hope you'll forgive me for telling it again. I think most of you don't. 
But it may not seem miraculous to you, but it truly is to me. As I'm sure all of you know, I am the mother of four children. The youngest of our children is adopted. Ben will be 16 years old next week. I love the story of our adoption, and I will try not to tell you all the details, so it's really boring, but there are some nuggets that are pretty marvelous. I married Ken Killebrew 25 years ago in 1996. Within the first few years of our marriage, I traveled with Grace of Anne to do ministry with Donna Faircloth in Hesifi, Brazil. We worked mostly with street children that lived in guest homes, and I fell in love with nearly every one of them. We all did. I will likely never forget the day that I called Ken from Brazil and said, we have to bring some of these children home. I just knew Ken would laugh or say, you're crazy. He had come from a family of two boys, separated by four years, nice and neat little package. But instead, I heard him say, huh, maybe. And that seemingly insignificant little phrase was for me the beginning of our adoption story. After a few years of marriage, we were anxious to start a family. That process was a little slower than we expected, and by that time, we were very, both very open to adopting our first child. It didn't really matter to us how God built our family, so we began the research. We reached out to lots of agencies and attended informational meetings. We finally decided to work with Life Choices and began their application process. It's odd, but I can still remember one of the questions on the application. They asked me to describe the role of each family member, father, mother, brother, sister. It's weird. I don't know exactly why I remember that question, but I do. But it was probably when I was answering that exact question when in the spare bedroom of Juju Skull's home, which used to be my home many, many years ago, I remembered to check my latest pregnancy test and... Sure enough, there were two lines. We were pregnant, and adoption was put on hold for the time being. Thirteen months of hoping for a baby, and nine months of pregnancy later, we welcomed our first child, Samuel, named, of course, for the son that Hannah had prayed for on January 28, 2001. Successive pregnancies were much easier. Reagan came 22 months after Sam, and Drew followed another 25 months after our only daughter. Our home was blessed and boisterous, full of toddler hands and activity. Every so often, Ken and I would be driving down Farmington, and we would look at each other and say, huh, I wonder if we'll ever adopt. So fast forward to April of 2008. Mother's Day was approaching, and my husband has always been an excellent gift giver. But this year, he had a very surprising gift for me. He wanted me to go to an informational meeting at Bethany Christian Services. Ken was ready to adopt. I was so surprised. I remember saying, have you met Drew Killebrew? (laughs) As perfect a baby as Drew was, and he truly was perfect. He had woken up at nine months old and been a handful ever since. (laughs) He was not quite three and a half at that point. But after a few days of praying, my heart was turned and I gladly agreed to go. After the meeting, I don't even remember questioning whether we were up for it or whether or not we would do it. It just seemed like the next logical step in family building for us. There are some nuts and bolts questions that I've gotten over the years, and I have shared my answers to them multiple times. I've never been embarrassed by those answers, but I'm older now. (laughs) 
but it's really important. It's a really important part of the story. So it, it, it just reveals that Ken and I are a mess. We didn't embark on this calling with some like super spiritual mindset. We were young and we were very human. So the first question was, why international adoption? All right, there are a few reasons. I had a few parameters I wanted to work within. I really wanted a child younger than Drew to keep from rearranging the birth order. I also was not eager to repeat the sleepless nights of an infant because I was regretfully a total brat during that stage. And a bonus would be if we didn't have to potty train. <laughs> yep, I said it. Um, so domestic adoptions tend to place you with a newborn or with an older child who had gone through the foster system, and neither of those fit our desires. So why Ethiopia? Well, each country has its set of rules. Russia had an exorbitant country fee that didn't seem necessary. Colombia required you to travel out of the country for up to six weeks, and I had no idea how you would manage that with a family and also maintaining employment. We had too many children, if I remember correctly, for China. Um, some countries required multiple trips, which seemed hard and expensive. And the only country that really fit us was Ethiopia. So number three, why a boy? Well, Ken really wanted a boy, and I really wanted another girl. Ken wanted his princess to remain princess and not have to share the throne. <laughs> it's true. I thought two boys and two girls seemed nice and neat. Um, so we went gender neutral, leaving that to the Lord. And how ironic that gender neutral really has a different connotation these days. <laughs> we use that phrase all the time in 2008, not anymore. <laughs> right? So yes, two immature, very messy sinners and finally embarked in the adoption process in May of 2008, nine years after we had started it the first time. Happy Mother's Day to me. I don't know if you know very much about the adoption process, but it's intense. If you ever thought you could keep something in your life a secret, adoption will prove that you can't. It's impossible. We had to build a dossier to be approved for adopting a child internationally. The U.S. had to approve us, and Ethiopia also had to approve. So the dossier includes things like a marriage certificate, letters for, of powers of attorney, which I realized for the director of the adoption agency. I'm like, wow. Medical releases for both parents and each child, financial statements, which was really quite interesting in 2008 for a financial planner. Employment letters, tax returns, letters of recommendation, budget, including monthly bills, police background checks, U.S. immigration approval with fingerprinting. Did you know that your fingerprints could expire? A home study, which, of course, included multiple visits and pet approval, books to read, training to attend, forms, forms, and more forms. Looking back at our dossier, it appears that we dove right in and had everything we could do completed by the end of July. The longest part of the process was waiting on the Department of Homeland Security to approve our application for international adoption. From what I call, recall, that took about six weeks uh, to be fingerprinted and approved so that our dossier could be sent to the embassy in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Things I'm sure I thought I'd remember forever, I have forgotten. I believe our dossier was finally sent to Ethiopia by Christmas of 2008. It was time for us to be matched with our child. Then the waiting began. On a family beach trip with friends in May of 2009, I got the long-awaited call from our caseworker, 
we had a son. His name was Ephah, and he had just turned three years old. He was chubby-cheeked and very healthy. We were overjoyed and couldn't wait to be united with our youngest child, but that was not going to be fast. Once matched, we had to wait to be scheduled for an appointment with the U.S. Embassy in Ethiopia. That would be the final step in completing our adoption. The weeks began to click by, and the rainy season was approaching. I'm not sure if it's still that way, but at that time, Ethiopia was famous for completely shutting down for the rainy season, and that came in November. No embassy appointments would be made for at least six weeks during that time. We did not make it before the rain. The weeks turned into months, and finally sometime in November, we were notified that we had our embassy date. We would travel to Ethiopia for our appointment on December 10, 2009. So if you want to refer to your uh, visual aid, you can. It's not necessary, but you can. (laughs) It appeared that our journey would end after 19 months. November 26th was Thanksgiving Day in 2009. That year, we had traveled to Clarksville, Tennessee to spend the holiday with my husband's family. It must have been the next day, Black Friday. I know it was in the afternoon. We were standing in the toy section of Target doing some Christmas shopping when I got a call. It was our caseworker from Bethany. She had bad news. They discovered that our dossier had been approved for us to adopt a child up to the age of three years old. Our little Aoife Ben that we loved from afar was now three years and eight months. For some reason, no one had noticed until then. Basically, our approval was null and void. We needed to be reapproved by the Department of Homeland Security. At that very moment, our embassy date was 13 days away. We were scheduled to get on an international flight in nine days. We were devastated. So much time had passed, we couldn't imagine waiting through another holiday season without our child for some mysterious date in the future. Her advice to us, come home and get started on the starting over. All I wanted to do was go to bed, pull the covers over me, and have someone wake me when it was done. The process that had taken us 18 months needed to be redone, so to speak. Our home study had to be updated. We needed USCIS approval for an older child that had taken six weeks the first time around. Oh, and by the way, our fingerprints were going to expire while we were supposed to be in Ethiopia, so those had to be redone. On top of all of that, it was a holiday weekend. We couldn't really do anything until Monday, November 30th. Our flight was scheduled for Sunday, December 6th. Fortunately, I did not get in the bed. Ken probably pulled me to the car saying something like, don't worry about Christmas presents, the kids will be happier getting a little brother anyway. I think we dropped everything in the middle of the Target and ran out the door. The next thing I remember was being back in our home in Germantown with our caseworker as she was there to update our home study during Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, one thing done. What now? We prayed for a miracle. How in the world could God get us on that plane next week? Well we turned to (laughs) G-O-L. I don't know what I wrote on my post. I explained the situation entirely to our church family and asked, is there anyone who knows anyone at the Department of Homeland Security who can help us? (laughs) 
Not surprisingly, there were very few who could offer any tangible help, but many, many who prayed. Someone had a niece that worked at the embassy in Addis. I wish I could remember who it was. I think, for some reason, I always think it's Lisa Davis. No. Yep, it was not Lisa Davis. (laughs) Somebody did. I still remember Jeff Ross, so kind, said he delivered paper products to that office and he would reach out to the people he knew to see if there was anything he could do. But the real help came from Paige Wright, Juju Skull's mama. She had the golden ticket. She gave me the precious name, Jerry Wheeler. It brings tears to my eyes as I think about this again. Hank and Paige had already been through an adoption and when they needed help, It was Jerry Wheeler who was able to help them. Jerry worked in Bob Corker's office. Looking her up yesterday, it looks like she is now with Marsha Blackburn. It was probably Monday, November 30th when I began communicating with Jerry, and that would have been at the earliest. She was kind, compassionate, professional, and apparently magical. She was so comforting to my anxious heart. She did not think we were crazy. She was willing to do whatever was needed, and I don't know what she did but it is still shocking to me when I think that a process that had taken us six weeks was accomplished in just a few days. I speak the truth when I say that we were fingerprinted, approved, and on a flight to Ethiopia by Sunday, December 6th. God moved a government agency in our favor. Tuesday, December 8th, 2009, we met met Benjamin Ifa Killebrew in the flesh for the very first time. We had driven to an orphanage called Galgela with other families with our same embassy date. The lovely Ethiopian woman came around the corner carrying our beautiful son, then reached out to Ken, crawled in my husband's arms, and never looked back. We were amazed. He never fussed, never cried. He was easy and sweet from the moment we met him. If you know Ben at all, you know him to be a cool, steady, collected sort of fella. Well, he's been that way all of the days that we have known and loved him. Our trip to Ethiopia was brief, but impactful. Ethiopians are proud, beautiful, warm people. We saw lots of bits of their country. But everywhere we went, people asked about our sweet boy. Everyone would say, so beautiful, when they saw him. He truly was and still is. Many asked about his name, and they would smile when we told them Ifa, his birth mother, had given given him a name from from an old word that means light. We made it to our embassy appointment on December, Thursday, December 10th, where we were officially declared the parents of our fourth child. Unbelievably, we were back on a 20-hour flight home by Friday evening, December 12th. Ben slept the whole way. Sunday, December 13th, was the day before mine and Ken's 13th wedding anniversary. Being all twisted up in our sleep schedule, we decided to go ahead, get up, and go to church. I can still recall the reactions of people as they were amazed that there we were holding our precious son just two weeks after pleading help from our church family. DJY later told me that day was the most haggard I had ever looked. Are we surprised? (laughs) I mean, I had been on two international flights, been kept awake by a local rooster for days, and showered from a faucet that was directly over my toilet. (laughs) It was true, but thanks, man. (laughs) 
Only Jimmy would convey such a brutal truth. But there was another reaction that I remember just as vividly. A woman I bumped into said, oh my goodness, I read that G-O-L and thought, well, that's impossible. So I just dismissed it. It didn't hurt my feelings. It affirmed what I had just lived through. I had seen our powerful God move a mountain to unite our family. The impossible had been made possible. Ben will be 16. That cool, collected personality we noticed back in December 2009 is still the same today. He's a teenager now, and I can say it's not always as endearing as it was then. (laughs) When I'd like to know more information about your life, man. But there is no doubt that he was meant to be ours. A sinful, broken world interrupted his biological family in a way that still grieves me. But there was no way in the world that Ken and I could ever have orchestrated the events that united us to him. Not long after we met Ben at Galgala Orphanage, it was closed because the conditions there were so deplorable. And then just four months after our trip to Ethiopia, a woman from Shelbyville, Tennessee, sent her adopted seven-year-old child back to Russia with a note saying she no longer wanted to parent him. You may remember this story. The Russian president, Dmitry Medvedev, called this a monstrous deed. But that event stopped the International Adoption Network in its tracks. International adoption was frozen and forever changed from that point on. What if that flight to Russia had carried that precious child home five months before? What if Galgala had closed six months earlier? What if Paige Wright had been the one that had dismissed my plea and not passed on Jerry Wheeler's contact to me? What if I had gone to bed at any point and said, it's just too hard? What if I had never gone to Brazil? What if I had never married Ken Killebrew? There are so many useless questions because there are so many ordinary events with such extraordinary timing. I don't know if you're blessed by hearing this story. I hope you are. This little nugget of our life, and it truly is just a nugget. It doesn't define us speaks volumes to me of what God can do and is doing in the world and in our lives every moment. No nation is called to celebrate Ben Killebrew's gotcha day in perpetuity. But I remember, and it humbles me in praise. The Killebrews are not special, but you already know that. Our God is great, and we are so incredibly fortunate to be grafted, adopted into his kingdom so that we can participate in his holy work. You all have stories of God's providence, probably many much better than mine. I hope that you will mark it down, remember what the Lord has done for you, and share it with others. He will continue to seek your good and his glory through us forever. Esther should encourage us greatly, a series of ordinary events orchestrated with extraordinary timing. I'll quote Karen Jobes again. According to scripture, God's involvement with the universe is not capricious. Neither is God waiting to see what we all decide to do so he can intervene if things are not going as planned. God governs the universe toward a goal And that goal is inseparably bound to the people he has chosen to bring into covenant with himself in Jesus Christ. 
We all know Romans 8:28. In fact, we probably dismiss it since it's overused and taken so wildly out of context, but it's still true. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And what about 8:31? It's true as well. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer No one, not even our sinful selves. Let's pray. Father, I give this offering to you, Father, and I pray, dear Lord, that it will be seen only as a recounting of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord in my own life. Thank you, Father. Lord, I know that not everybody thinks of their life as having such sweet, happy endings, Lord. You know that my life is not roses and peaches and cream, Father. And I pray, dear Lord, that no one will walk away thinking that. But you are a powerful, supreme God, ruling over the universe, Father, in great love, tenderness, and grace for your people. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, for each one of these women. I pray that they will walk away knowing you a little better. And I pray, Father, that you'll bring us all back together again in August. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.